Welcome to Double Fries No Slaw. It is Monday afternoon, June 28th, 12 p.m. I don't know why we're doing this at 12 p.m. I blame Richie mostly um, because he's not here. But Brennan Sinone, myself, TJ Pittenger. Brennan, how are you doing today? I'm doing well, TJ. It's very nice of you to ask. Thank you. How are you doing? Does anyone ever ask you how you're doing? Does anyone just throw it back to you? Sometimes um, some of my buddies on a bourbon podcast that I do will ask uh-huh. me sarcastically, but they never really care how I'm doing. Uh, what, um, what bourbon What bourbon podcast is, <laughs> is that? It, what's funny is um, we use the same software for the 76 pods we do. So like we could legitimately just like flip this over real quick and, and do a whole different show. Oh, oh, we're not going to, okay. but we could, right. we could, okay. we could. Um, man, are you tired after this weekend? Tell me about, uh, tell me about your energy levels as we start to let some people get in here. We start to share this and then we'll get rolling in a minute. Well, first off, thank you for having me as your fourth option from Knowles 24 seven after Josh Newberg, after Zach Blaustein, uh, after Chris Nee. I appreciate being the fourth man up. I was going to see if Gabby Arita could do it from, from the Canes, <laughs> from the K. I felt like uh, you might have been fit. Oh, there's some good with little Manny Diaz, <laughs> FSU, uh, tension action right now. Yeah, but, um, to that. I mean, I'm tired, man. I, I'd be lying to you. Like I'm, I'm not. I've worked hard this month. Don't get me wrong, but I'm not the recruiting guy for the website. Like I help out. I'm informed. I know what's happening, but like Zach and Chris are spending, you know, when, when the dead period uh, ended on June 1st and, you know, the doors opened up at midnight and they had the midnight madness. I mean, I was there with, with Zach and Chris, uh, but those guys almost never left the bench this entire month. I mean, they have been on there all the time. Um, so I, I feel guilty saying like that I'm tired, but I have worked a lot this month. It hasn't been a relaxing or laid back June by any means. Uh, collectively as a group, we've worked a lot. And the FSU coaches, man, have, have been working for, for pretty much 28 straight days up until the, the open period and then now dead period starting at, at midnight this, this morning. How familiar are you? You talked about the FSU coaches working, not to take away from the work that you and Chris and – um, Zach and Berg have done, but how familiar are you with, um, is Florida state's coaching like the effort levels that you see from them? Is that comparable to like really what a lot of coaches are doing after like a year long dead period? Or would you say they're, they're putting in more work or, or we just kind of like see it because we're, you know, in the FSU market or or what what are your thoughts there? We are certainly, I mean, we're like the amount of visits. I think Chris counted this morning, FSU had, 36 of it's like we have a, a board running of, of who we believe are the top prospects and, and the guys who are warm on FSU and the priorities for FSU. I think they had all 36 come in uh, this uh, this cycle. And and so they had a, a, a couple dozen guys that were like high priorities that they got all of them. I think that was fairly frequent across the country because kids were so willing to visit DJ because they had so much. Remember, this is 15 months of them not being able to to go onto campuses, unless you're Arizona state. Right. (laughs) 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 But you're not allowed to really go and visit. I mean, you could go on campus for part of this, but like you couldn't actually have a organized structured visit. So with that in mind, the visits like across the country were vast. And, and so that's not unique to FSU, but I think what, what really emerged, man, in the last month was, uh, the organization, the attention to detail, the energy that Mike Norvell and his staff provided from midnight and the organization, not just the organization, the creativity too, like to have the midnight madness and to have the elite camp stay quiet and get actual elite prospects on that next day uh, to have the mega camp go off as flawlessly as it did later that week. Like, I mean, they, they did such a great job of conducting themselves professionally as a staff, as an organization, as putting FSUs like a good foot, a good foot forward uh, for, for other uh, programs during the, during all of these camps, like at FAMU was on campus numerous times, Ryan Silverfield, Memphis's head coach who worked with Norvell, obviously at Memphis was on campus. The mega camp had hundreds of college coaches. So, so FSU really, I think set a tone and a standard around the country for like how, how recruiting can be done at such a vast uh, big picture level. So that's what was important to me to, to kind of take away from the last, last month. Uh, but yeah, I mean, I can't like say like they, they worked really, really hard. They worked efficiently. Mike Norvell leads from the front in that regard. And then they got a bunch of really good prospects on campus as well to go along with it. And, and here we are uh, at the day after the day of the, the dead period beginning again, FSU has the fifth class nationally in the 24-7 sports composite. It's, it's really good stuff. 
Yeah. Um, as some more people trickle in here and people are seeing this, if you have questions, if, if you have specific things, obviously we're going to talk about some of the commits and some of the kids that joined FSU's class to get them up to that fifth, uh, fifth ranking nationally. But uh, if you have questions, just comment them on Facebook, YouTube, Twitter. Now Periscope's dead, but Twitter. And we're, uh, we're happy to kind of ask those live on the air, not as tweets, just comment up here on the, on the stream. Um, as people start to get in, what are, you, what are you drinking over there? Is that coffee? Are you on a, are you on a milkshake this morning or afternoon? I guess we're at noon now. What are you drinking? Diet Coke. It's not what we're usually uh, drinking <laughs> together on, on podcast. Not yet. It's oh, sorry, I got a, I, yeah, I got a Dunkin' coffee. So, like, I mean, it's empty. But uh, Diet Coke early. Or no, I, yeah. No, I, I, I already <laughs> finished up my coffee. Uh, the first podcast uh, on the bench, Shameless Plug. I already did the coffee this morning. So, I'm transitioning to something a little less caffeinated, but still still need the caffeine. for today. Yeah, still going. Um. Did you get that? Did you get that from Guthrie's? Where'd you get that diet? Like, are you a Guthrie's guy? We didn't ask about this the first time you came on. You came on like right after Andy did. And so like mm-hmm. we just got it was right after the spring game and we got right into things. But are you are you a Guthrie's guy? Or are you trying to like keep your physique or what's going on there? I, I have been working out a lot uh, lately. No, <laughs> I mean I do I do enjoy chicken fingers and Guthrie's does uh as good of a job, not better than anyone in town for sure. So uh but honestly, the last time I went to Guthrie's, I mean it's just it's not close to me, not uh, unfortunately. To so you need to tell them to open up like one on on you know by the interstate up on I ten, uh, the the east side of town is. I was gonna say there's in. one there's one the other way, right? Up right. On the interstate. Yeah, mm-hmm. but yeah, not not where I'm at. No, the last time I went to Guthrie's involved like having to break up a fight with intoxicated friends and whatnot. So, so yes. it's, it, it's been a little <laughs> yes. while. I mean, Guthrie's is undefeated when it comes to you know soaking up the booze. Uh, so you know if they want to sponsor a. Uh, a bourbon podcast versus yeah very good um no coleslaw though no 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 we talked about like i don't know why that i think that option only exists i don't even know if they have coleslaw in the building i think that option exists just so people can say that they don't want that coleslaw like in general there's a few circumstances where i find it like refreshing or or barbecue like on a sam on a barbecue sandwich on a sandwich or a slaw dog dog. yeah yeah yeah, there is uh and there's like some restaurants that like like fancy out their coleslaw put like pineapple on it like with seafood and like that's kind of like refreshing as like a like a change of pace but in general coleslaw is pretty worthless so uh, i'm with you double fries all the way yeah so um all right let's talk about um We'll get we'll get to some questions in in a little bit, but I see there, Markel. Stay tuned, and we'll uh, we'll ask Brennan. But I want to ask my questions first. Sorry, I'm I'm just like that. Um, what we talked a little bit about FSU's coaching staff doing work, um, how it felt like. So you were on campus. You've been on campus a lot this this uh, month mm-hmm. for a lot of a lot of the events going on. How was the energy of this weekend specifically? Um, I, you know, I'm not going to ask you to rank it compared to. All the other events or all the other things, but just the general vibe of the the energy this weekend compared to not only other events that have gone on this month, but other big weekends that you've been a part of in the past with different regimes, different coaches, this regime, whatever. Uh, I think so. This was remarkable to me is the energy from day one of Midnight Madness when they opened up the doors right at twelve o'clock on June first until this this past Sunday. Um, it was remarkable because the energy was so consistent throughout and they brought it all the time. I mean, they had, I'm sure, let me think of how many camps they must've had. They had, they had midnight madness. Then they had an elite camp the next day. Then a few days later they had the mega camp, which was basically four camps rolled into one day. Um, But we'll count that as one. They had two seven on sevens. They had two big man camps. They had three individual camps. And, they, and then they also had workouts with these kids too. So I mean, they, so they weren't just hosting visits, you know what I mean? It wasn't just like they were putting their best foot forward to, to try to present FSU in the terms of like, hey, this is an official visit. We're going to go around and show you different parts of the campus and have meetings with professors and with academic sides. And um, it, it wasn't just that it was them also conducting these camps. Oh, and by the way, they also have players that are currently on campus, like current players, who were able to start doing organized workouts on June first uh, as well? So they were going, I mean, nonstop doing all these different elements, and the energy even on Sunday was still really great. Like the coaches were still like going out in droves to meet players as they arrived. Uh, the GAs and stuff were hustling to take suitcases and and pillows or whatnot into the buses to, to have guys leave or into the cars service or however they were exiting after their official visit. 
Now I will say like towards the very end of the day, after the official visits were gone, there was one point when there was like, everyone was kind of like chilling on a big golf cart. And even Norvell kind of put his, his hands over the top of the golf cart and took a big breath, but like <laughs> it was done. Like it was, it was, yeah. it, it was it reminded me of the, uh, the meme of the, the lady at Popeye's with her head down when they had the chicken sandwich was, was, was all the rape. Um, so yeah, it was the Somebody energy. Somebody Photoshop really- Norvell onto that because that's amazing. <laughs> <laughs> it was again. I will. And I'm not just saying this because I cover the tea because I'm I'm not kissing butt here. Like the the energy that was provided from day one until day what was it 28 uh 2027. 20, it was impressive. It was really, really impressive. And again, Norvell sets the tone with the energy. He leads from the front. I had someone on staff say like, it's easy to follow a guy like Norvell because he so willingly leads from the front and he sets the tone for everyone. But like uh, his soldiers, like all followed in line too. It, it was, it was encouraging to see. Yeah. So Florida state did pick up some commits. So we'll talk about those guys and and then bring up a couple of things and then uh, answer some questions, get you out of here. But uh, so pick some commits they picked up this weekend. Um, we'll start in Mississippi, four-star mm-hmm. defensive lineman, uh, Travion Williams. Um, not to get like a crazy in-depth analysis of all four of these guys, but just give us a little bit about, about each of these guys. We'll start with a four-star defensive lineman. Um, all trench guys this, this weekend. Though. Yeah. Yeah. They, they piled up on the, on the big dudes, which is good, uh, which is much needed. Uh, and that's how you're going to turn the program around is by solidifying the trenches. So Trevion Williams, four-star defensive end from Mississippi. Uh, some rumors going around that he's transferring uh, to, to Georgia, but we have not uh, necessarily confirmed that with him directly yet. So I would like to get that uh, for sure on the record before go ahead saying that, but that is the rumor and that he, um, yeah, that, that'd be good to kind of get. It, it's sometimes tough to pull kids out of Mississippi. So I don't think it would hurt to have him out of, out of Mississippi and, and kind of comfortable going out of, out of state. So I'll leave it at that. Um, but with Trevion Williams, his skill set, I'll put it this way, TJ, he is six foot five, 254 pounds. That was not embellished. Uh, when he walked by, he showed up to the elite camp on June 1st or 2nd. I can't remember if days are all blended together, but early in June, he showed up to the elite camp. He caused like my head to turn. Like, who is this kick? So we never seen him before. We didn't know who he was at first. Uh, Chris Nee, Josh Newberg, they all have the same reaction at different times. And and then they got going in the actual camp setting. And the, the size that he had, the frame, uh, the fact that he's never really played defensive end before, he turned the corner, burst off the edge so effortlessly at his size. Uh, it was almost shocking. I don't think I've seen that in person in, in, in quite a while. So it's really impressive. Um, but at that size, TJ, at 6'5", 254, he plays quarterback. Uh, for his high school team and and you know I, I put some of the clips up on on Twitter and on Knowles 24/7 you watch him set his foot in the dirt and and change direction uh it's a sight to behold so he's someone who you know FSU got in on fairly late uh, but a lot of schools did he's kind of an under radar guy FSU beats out Auburn beats out Mississippi State which you know was believed to be the the team that was going to kind of keep him home uh so FSU does a really nice job to go ahead and and get that commitment this weekend and uh, frankly, I think he's someone that, even though he's still raw as a as a prospect of defensive end, I think he's someone who can help out early just because of his his physical tools. Um, other side of the line, four star offensive lineman Quayshon Sapp. Am I saying mm-hmm. that right? Yep. Uh, Lee yep. County, yep. Georgia. Um, another blue chip prospect that uh, picked FSU. Thoughts there on uh, on Sapp. And someone who said that he was a silent commitment, I believe, to FSU for a few months now. Uh, I got up to Lee County, uh, which is up by Albany, uh, for people who were who are Georgia geography buffs like Ingram Smith. Uh, so it's about two hours north of Tallahassee. But I got up there with Zach Blostein, uh, I guess, two months ago. And went to go see him and Jerron Willis practice. And uh, Quayshon was very hospitable and, and really appreciated the time he gave us, but someone who I think moves pretty well at 320 pounds, fairly light feet. Now he's not super bending flexible, which is why I think he's probably going to move from tackle to guard at, at the college <laughs> level. But, uh, someone that FSU was in on for, for a very long time, Alex Atkins put in a ton of work recruiting him. Uh, and so that pays off obviously with the public commitment, on, on I think it was Saturday. Yeah, on Saturday, someone we, we thought he he was planning to commit on July third, and that was significant. I think it was his mom's birthday. Uh, but he ends up goes ahead and, and pulls the trigger a little early. But yes, yeah, someone that that FSU was going up, up against uh, some other SE excuse me SE schools with. I think he officially visited Florida. 
Also, Cincinnati was in the mix as well, high-end group of five programs. So, yeah, a guy who's fairly local that was on the radar for a while for FSU brings value as someone who I think has a pretty high high floor, can help out pretty early on to, to add depth to the interior offensive line. FSU needs a ton of help on that offensive line, and that wasn't the only commitment from on that side of the ball. Also out of Georgia, um, three-star offensive line, Kanaya Charlton. Yep. I got it. I got yeah, it. You got it. Um, commits to FSU as well. Um, again, big fan, that, big fan of yeah, his offensive line needed. Like we'll take all the, the trench commits, but uh, talk, talk to us about Kanaya. He is ranked significantly lower than Quayshon Sapp. So Quayshon Sapp's composite grade is 89, which is, you know, again, that, that puts him in the blue chip status. Barely is at the, the low end of a four star, uh, Kanaya Charlton is an 83 composite grade. He's not ranked nationally. I think 24-7 has in like the 1,000 range. I like him, his upside, as much, if not more, than Quayshon Sapp. I'll be honest. Uh, because he has, I think, fairly quick feet for a big guy. He's 6'5". Uh, he told us he weighed 340 nowadays, which uh, his profile earlier, <laughs> earlier had said 360. So someone who still needs to lose weight, still really top-heavy. But man, he is strong. He has good functional strength. Uh, he bullies people. I went through and counted his his pancake blocks at the prep level. I think he had like 55 as a junior, or roughly 55 pancake or knockdown blocks. And some of that's him just you know being bigger than other you know high school players and, and beating them up. But you need to see that if you want someone to do it at the college level, they certainly have to do it at the prep level. He does it. Brunswick is 6A Georgia, so it, you know they play fairly good caliber of football there too. He's someone that I think Zach had a crystal ball in for him to FSU since January. Mm. I had it in since March. This is a guy that we thought FSU had a really good uh, grip on. And and so again, you get that execution of a long-term uh, recruitment TJ that, that pays off uh, on, uh, during a big official visit weekend with a public commitment. Uh, and again, you're solidifying a major position of need with, with him. And then flipping back over to the other side of the ball, last one here that we'll talk about that committed. Um, it's been a while since I feel like we had four big commits uh, the same weekend. Out of Orlando, Florida, three-star defensive lineman Bishop Thomas. Um, thoughts there on Bishop? He plays at Bishop Moore High School, which a little confusing. So I'm just going to call him Bishop this entire time to make sure I'm not <laughs> oscillating between Thomas and Moore. So he, he actually, and I don't think he's going to play at Bishop Moore this season. I'm not sure where he's going to play. He had transferred from St. Augustine High School in Louisiana, New Orleans, where Coach Yak uh, used to coach. So, so this was kind of a Coach Yak special, someone that was on the radar for FSU pretty early on. And then his recruitment started to blow up as his, as his junior film kind of starts to circulate. And it's really, really, really impressive film. Uh, he's six foot two, 302 pounds maybe closer to 6'1". He's a little sawed off, but he does have long arms, uh, and he's extremely explosive off the jump, like really athletic. He plays some tight end too, and when you see a 300-pound guy like play in space like he does and adjust the football and, and make defenders miss, you're like, oh, that, that's something a little different there and a little unique. I don't know what his upside is because he has a smaller frame, but I think he's someone who offers a really unique skill set. This is also a major position of need for Florida State. You know, they, they have some guys that like more – you know, year three, year four type of players at defensive tackle right now, Robert Cooper, Fabian Lovett, uh, Dennis Briggs, that you, you feel good about. But then after that, it gets a little dicey with, with some more unknowns. Uh, and most of the younger guys that you're really relying on, like, like say, Shambray Jackson, Joshua Farmer, those are true freshmen who are moving from defensive end to defensive tackle that you're trying to put weight on. So Bishop Thomas is someone that you really needed in this class, someone like him. He was looked at by Texas. Tennessee took official visits there. So it's safe to say you beat out Texas for this kid. Like that's that's impressive. That's a really good haul for Florida State. Uh, I like his game quite a bit. I think he's someone who can who can probably contribute pretty early on in the defensive tackle rotation. So yeah, man, this is four trench guys we're talking about. You're beating some SEC schools for these guys. Um FSU's moving in a good direction. Um, so we had a good question here. And if you're watching this, if you're listening to it later, sorry you didn't catch it live, but if you're watching this, if you have any questions for us, feel free to type them in the chat. We've got a couple here for Brendan that we will uh, get answered live here on the air. If you're watching and you want us to answer more questions, share this, retweet it, um, send it to a group, whatever you want to do. Let's get some more people in here so that we can continue on and we'll get a couple questions here for Brendan and then let him get on with his day. But uh, here's a good one from Hunter on Facebook. How much does Travis Hunter help as a recruiter? Um, 
you know, I, obviously the answer could be a lot, but a ton. Give, yeah. Give, yeah. Give me your thoughts being up there. I, I think that's a good one, you know? So, uh, yeah, I don't know. It's going to be really interesting to look back at this historically, kind of like we look back at the 2010 class with Jimbo Fisher and like what LaMarcus Joyner did with, with that class and Jeff Luck. And, and those were guys who were blue chip players from South Florida who committed pretty early on to kind of get the ball rolling. Well, Travis Hunter commits almost before he's a blue chip player. Like he was considered a really good haul when FSU got him, but he was still a sophomore. Uh, it was before a sophomore season. Uh, if I'm, no, sorry, excuse me, for his junior season. Um, and, and so he had a really good sophomore season, but he wasn't this household name yet. But he ends up having an amazing junior season, right, where he leads his team to a uh, to the to Georgia State Championship game. I forget what classification. High classification, doesn't matter. Uh, and he has like 1,400 receiving yards. He has seven interceptions. He's doing it all on both sides of the ball. And he, and he takes that season. He parlays it into the seven-on-seven seven circuit where we haven't seen guys in a year do seven-on-seven seven and just – goes crazy early on like i mean he's he's making a highlight real play every single day he's he's participating in these national tournaments and it almost became just like this weekend joke like travis hunter is performing in a seven on seven tournament something great's going to happen people start kind of paying attention to that recruits start listening to it and people start kind of deciding like hey we want to play with travis hunter because he has that kind of bravado around him he, he he carries himself with a swagger with a confidence and he's fun uh, and competitive, but then he he backs it all up consistently. He does it all the time, right? So uh, Sam McCall, for example, he commits to FSU, and that's the, the other five-star in this class, defensive back from Lake Gibson in, in the Lakeland area. Uh, he commits to FSU, I don't want to say entirely because of Travis Hunter, but like Travis Hunter made a was a was a huge reason for him wanting to come play for Florida State. So Travis Hunter has that kind of aura about him where guys want to line up and play for him. Uh, he was here at the elite camp early on, uh, you know, in he was here for the whole first week of June, which was amazing as well. And he was competing even in that elite camp, you know, several days into June, uh, where, where he's, I mean, should be physically like tired just from being at these camps and recruiting for FSU. Uh, but, but he ends up, I mean, he, he develops a pretty good bond with Trevion Williams. And that's the rumors that Trevion Williams, who, you know, now an FSU commit, uh, is going to play with him in Georgia. That's the rumor. Uh, so right there, you see his his charisma make a big deal. Uh, Jaleel Skidder is a high-end four-star wide receiver, tight end, offensive weapon prospect. The FSU is in a really good spot for. He was inseparable, basically, with Travis Hunter uh, for the duration of his visit. So, yeah, I mean, Travis Hunter, uh, again, historically, we'll see how this class ends up, if FSU can kind of do what it needs to do on the field to keep this class intact. But but if if FSU gets back to national title status in the next five years or so i think almost undoubtedly would have to look at travis hunter as a huge reason why yeah for sure um markel asked this early and markel thanks for hey um hanging around for us to uh be able to ask this thoughts on jaron willis which i'll say you and your coworkers are a little bit split on this you have a (laughs) crystal ball in for georgia tech knee and zach do as well but then josh has one in he put it in earlier than you guys for uh for Florida State, but uh, any thoughts there on Jaron Willis and then the other one being Jalen Early, who um, everybody has to, to FSU, a four-star offense, interior offensive lineman. Yeah, so Jaron Willis is someone, he is teammates with Quayshawn Sapp, who committed to Florida State uh, publicly the other day. So Jaron comes here for an official visit, and he is committed to Georgia Tech. Now, he was someone that has called FSU his dream school in the past, right? And he's two hours away, so fairly local, closer to FSU than any other major university. And FSU isn't able to get him. Georgia Tech gets him. And one of the big reasons why is he talked about wanting to play safety. Georgia Tech said, hey, you can play safety. Uh, here's the issue, right, long term. Uh, Willis is already, let's see, we have him at 6'2", 228 pounds. I think he's probably closer to 230 at this point. You see his frame. He's going to keep adding weight. He's probably going to be someone who gets to 235, 240 early on in college. I don't know a whole lot of 240-pound safeties out there. Uh, so so FSU this weekend had to really sell him on, well, you can play you know, in space. Still, we have the stud linebacker role. That's essentially a big nickel. That's what he plays right now, more or less. Uh, in high school is he plays out in space, kind of like that, that hybrid linebacker, cornerback slot kind of position. Uh, but then it also would be really helpful for your development and your future to kind of learn some linebacker skills too. I think FSU executed that. Now we'll see if it leads to an ultimate 
flip from him. Uh, I do believe that he is considering decommitting to Georgia Tech from Georgia Tech, excuse me, which is the first step, obviously, if you want to get a commitment from him, you have more or less need him to decommit, uh, typically is, is how that goes. So I think that's something that he is weighing, he's considering. He didn't want to set a timeline. He kept saying that I have a lot to think about. I have a lot to reconsider. I think is how he phrased it a couple of times, if I'm not mistaken. So yeah, we all put in the crystal balls for Georgia Tech when we found out it was going to be Georgia Tech, which was surprising because I think initially our staff thought that you know, he was a strong FSU lean. Uh, Josh kept his FSU crystal ball in, and now he's kind of he's doing a little you know beating of the chest, thinking that that maybe that that flip is going to come. He's going to get all those points for having the the commitment in for for several months now. And then uh, oh, so who was the other uh, Jalen Early? Yes. So he is a four star offensive lineman, kind of a fringe tackle guard, six four three twenty from Duncanville, Texas. His teammate Jarrell Powers visited as well. Uh, Powers is someone that is going to commit. Be well. He's going to commit somewhere on July 2nd. FSU and Colorado are believed to be the two finalists. Uh, we have all of our crystal balls, Andrell Powers. Uh, maybe it's going to be a package deal. I think Early going, is going to commit a little later on. See what he did there, TJ? Early, later, get it? That's uh, <laughs> but, but I think he's going. So he was here for an official visit this weekend as well. Um, I believe one of our Texas riders put in a crystal ball yesterday evening for FSU for Early, and then Zach Blostein did as well. Uh, so right now we're feeling pretty good as a staff. I have not gone ahead and, and done that yet. I don't know if it's imminent. I'm trying to see. So he also visited Ohio State officially, Texas A&M, and Texas Tech. So it's a really good list of schools that you'd be beating out if you are able to get him and secure him. Again, we kind of go back to this, like, are you taking too many interior office alignment with Kanaya Charlton in the fold and, and Kayshawn Sapp? But, man, I don't know. I think you take as many big bodies. Alou Boss, someone else, it's like, is he a – a tackle or a guard. I think you take as many talented, skilled offensive linemen as possible, and then you kind of let the chips, you know, fall where they may. Uh, not to be cliche, uh, Byer Sinone, yeah. Brendan using as many cliches or dad jokes as he can on any podcast that he's on. Um, we'll do some Byer Sinone in a little bit. A couple of very similar questions. Um, actually a buyer Sinone for you. All this is good right now in the summer, but won't mean anything if we don't win eight games. Um, I don't agree with that. Yeah. So knowing that one, so similar question, but you know, before you answer kind of both of them jointly late during the Periscope, can we keep this class together if we have the record that Vegas predicts right now, Vegas has is it over under five and a half wins. Ooh, okay. Um, so six wins regular season would be, it's just so dip five and six is just so different, right? Cause six, six wins probably turns into a bowl game against a really, really bad team mm -hmm. um, that you're just going to like out out athleticism or out athletic. I don't know how to say that, but you're going to be superior athletically uh, right. where it's five wins finishes at five, six probably gets you to seven. Yeah. Um, yeah. So, but, but how much does that matter? Um, uh, it mattered now. Yeah. So it's the person who was asking about eight. I think eight is, I think right now this staff is doing a good job identifying and securing commitments from guys who understand where this program is and the position <laughs> it is in and where it's going or where it could go. Uh, so six wins is realistic six wins i think the fan base needs to kind of calibrate or recalibrate like where this program is if you're thinking eight wins is the mark where it needs to be this year to kind of maintain things i think that's unrealistic i think six wins is is going to be i keep saying on the on the on the bench podcast like six and six everything's fixed i think if you hit six wins for the reasons you outlined tj uh that gets you to a bowl game that doubles your win total from the previous season that likely leads to a seventh win and even if not, like at that point, you can sell. We're back in a bowl game. We're moving in the right direction. That gives you everything you need to as a staff to say we're moving in the right direction. Now, like for some of these guys, if like let's say like Georgia or Alabama or Ohio State or Clemson come pushing really hard at the end, like uh, yeah, okay, well that may you you're still not in that level right now. Uh, but for a majority of these guys, like FSU is, they're committed to FSU knowing that this is still a process. This is still the, the quote unquote climb for, for Mike Novell. This is, this is still uh, ascending as the way FSU's coaching staff is pitching it. So I think you have to show progress. I think you have to show like moderate progress, like going from three to six wins in one season would be significant enough to, to say we're doing something special here. I think eight wins. Uh, listen, if FSU eight wins eight, eight games this year with the roster it currently has other winning a national title in a couple of years, because the recruiting <laughs> momentum they would get from eight wins uh, would put them to where they're possibly looking at a top 10 class to like, they would probably be able to start flipping some, 
some big time kids and saying we're we're close, we just need you. Um, so yeah, I think that would be a big deal. Yeah, to me, eight wins. Uh, to me, your your absolute ceiling is probably seven, right? I, I think what happens is if you win, if you were to win seven in the regular season, which I think would be pretty difficult your bowl game is going to get a lot tougher, right? You're going to be kind of in a more premier bowl game and that bowl win probably isn't as automatic as it is with, um, you know, a six and six, you're going to be taking on an eight and four sec team a nine and three has something like that. And that, that just mm -hmm. becomes a lot more difficult. And so getting to eight would, would be tough. I don't see a way they get to eight in the regular season. Some things break your way and you get to seven in the regular season. The eighth is possible in the bowl. But again, I, I don't know how much that matters. You win seven yeah. in the regular season. You're in great shape. The one thing I would say to, to eight win theory, and, and again, yeah, I'm leaning towards like five to six wins. I think Vegas is Vegas for a reason. They usually set the line for at a pretty good spot because they're really good at what they do. Um, if you hit eight wins, that's assuming that's probably giving you a Notre Dame win, right? And, and yeah. I think that's kind of like, so if you go ahead and you win that first game, you beat Notre Dame, and that schedule is as easy as it is in the first half. Yeah. Uh, then all of a sudden you start building some momentum. And like, I am a believer of like, that momentum does exist in football and all kinds of sports. I know some people don't. I do. I think you have self-confidence. You have belief in, in what you're doing that leads to buy and that leads to extra effort that leads to making a player two that maybe you wouldn't normally make. And it, it compounds and builds on itself. So I think if you win that first game, then all of a sudden like chips trying to kind of fall where they fall. And like maybe eight wins is, is possible yeah. because you would start. But right now I, I'm leaning towards six, closer to six and eight. Yeah, because if you win that Notre Dame game, you're going to win the next week against Alabama State and then or Jacksonville State. Sorry, mm -hmm. then you're going to the next week. Uh, you got Wake Forest. That we talked about how massive that game is for win or lose to Notre Dame. Uh, that Wake Forest game really sets up the next one. But like you're starting three and zero, and then you yeah. have teams like Syracuse uh, that that you're going to beat or that you definitely should be. Mm -hmm. Obviously, you're going to win the game. Um, Who's the other like cupcake game? Just like nothing game that we play later. Uh, they play UMass later on UMass after the bye. Is, yeah. But if you're beating Notre Dame, right? That means that, and if it's not fluky, and we'll see what Notre Dame is because they they have to replace Ian Book. They have to replace three NFL draft picks in the top three rounds in the offensive line. So they they do have things they have to uh, work on, and they have unknowns. But if you're beating Notre Dame, then that means that you're probably capable of beating. Louisville, Miami, of Louisville, State, NC State, even UNC. Like I know people are really high on UNC because Sam Howell's a really good quarterback, but they lose a lot on offense too. So if you're beating Notre Dame legitimately, then all of a sudden, like I think we have to recalibrate what we think Florida, Florida excuse me, what Florida State is. We'll see. Yeah, we'll if see. you beat if you beat Notre Dame, I think the only two like for sure losses that you'd really look at are, are Clemson and then I'm sorry, don't don't crucify me here. Probably Florida right now looking at it, but who knows what Florida's going to look like, you know, later right. in the year. Um, and so. who knows what Clemson's going to look like too? Like they have to replace a lot on offense. I know they they do a great job developing and recruiting, so like it, it's not that big of a jump and it'll be later in the year, but like uh, there's there's a lot of variables. Now you come out and you lose to Notre Dame too and you get, you know, you get drummed, right? Like then okay, we start recalibrating the other way. So this is still a, a a process. You know, right. So. You're, you're moving it down to like four or five instead of five or six. So, right. and then I think um, we can start evaluating where the recruiting class goes from there. Yeah. So help me with this name. We talked about Miami just a little bit, so we can't, uh, we can't miss on this, but uh, had a little bit of a, we had some sensitive online Twitter canes because Wesley, is it, can a you say the same? Yeah. Okay, good. I'm, I was going in a completely different direction. Threw up the upside down you at, Florida State last week, um, Kings fans got very, very upset with that, uh, of course, because, you know, they get upset when it's Wednesday, but uh, very upset with him throwing up the upside down you. He ended up later apologizing at, at Paradise Camp, said that he was just kind of caught up in the moment. Actually, you know, so Byerson owned this, says that the FSU coaches suggested he do this. I uh, have been told that, that they didn't do that, just – uh, I don't want to, you know, point anybody out, but like maybe somebody that works for your website. But um, you buy buy or Sinon, FSU's coaches told him to do that. Um, uh, I'll Sinon, they told him to do it. Like they may have gone, you know, they yeah. say, man, and he may have done it too. But Owen was like, hey, man, you better hold up that you upside down, or else we're going to have an issue. Like right, bourbon of suggestion. Our power of suggestion works. Did you say, with bourbon. Did you say bourbon? Suggestion? Yeah, I messed up. Power of suggestion works not only with bourbon, but also with doing this, right? Like, is that is that what you're going with? I think Marvin Jones Jr. did it as well. Now, I mean, he's you know from South Florida. His dad's from Miami, but dad obviously played up here on uh, the visit earlier. If I'm pretty sure the whole family did, I could be wrong. 
on that because things are blurring together. Like I forget like what what I'm seeing on Twitter and what's real and what isn't at this point. But um, yeah, I mean, you know, the kid threw up the upside down U and then had to go to uh, to Paradise Camp and you know maybe be a little awkward. But what are you gonna do? Like yeah. the thing people forget is like obviously you or I would. Well, I mean, you're not an FSU fan, so I take that back. But like I would never like throw up the U or do a Gator chopper. Like these kids don't care, you know, like they're like, even if they're committing somewhere, like they're not, like rivalry is not like, like I don't wear things that are orange and blue, like intentionally. Right. right. Because I don't want that to end up on Twitter and me get trolled later. But like these kids, like they could not care less about like your stupid, like your stupid team's tradition, you know, that has gone on for longer than they've been alive. Like they just, yeah. they're not into it like that. And I don't know what Wesley Bissaint's like fandom is. Like he's from Miami, but a lot of time kids from South Florida grew up with parents who were big FSU fans or, or FSU fans myself. Um, like Travis Hunter's from South Florida originally, I believe. And, you know, he's a diehard FSU fan. He's someone who would not be caught throwing up the U, you know, Travis right. Hunter, because he's a fan. Um, but yeah, most of the kids are, this is a business decision that they're making. They're trying to see what's going to lead them to and a good education, getting the degree. And then the main goal is to, you know, you're going to play college football. You want to get to the league too. And, and, you know, a good example of that is, is Jerron Willis who calls FSU his dream school, but is currently committed to Georgia tech because right. they're saying, we're going to play you at the position you want to play. So yeah, it's, it, you know, whatever downwards you, whatever. <laughs> um, keeping it with the emotional Miami fan base. Uh, Manny Diaz made a comment. Uh, his specific quote was, we're not a high pressure outfit. There's a lot of schools that kind of press kids to try and commit to get some kind of fake momentum. They can win the recruiting bake off in the month of June because that's not signing day. We want to be authentic. Um, I'll say this. I don't know that Florida state is going to finish with a recruiting class higher than Miami's. Um, you know, I, I think that my, I'd be a pretty safe bet to say Miami will probably have a more, uh, I won't say more. We'll have more wins than Florida State has um, on the football field this year, and that may translate to to more recruiting wins. I don't know. I do know that right now Miami is in the load more section, which you had a great joke on uh, Twitter this morning when you were getting ready for on the bench, and uh, they're about to lose a commit to uh, a commit that they hyped up very bigly, like to steal from. Uh, never mind. They hyped up very big um, in. Uh, Quan Lee, right? The UC, Quan he's Lee. Done, he's yeah. 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 Your school is about to flip uh, a commit from them that they were massive on, hyping up why he should have been a four star. Of course, all those screenshots and everything is going to disappear. Um, all that hype job they did. And they're, they're going to have three commits, which will put them in 62nd in the rankings. <laughs> um, again, recruiting trophies aren't won in June. I, I don't know who Florida State holds on to. I, I don't believe they end up with a top five class. I don't even know if they beat out Miami in, in the final ranking. Uh, but what are your thoughts on Manny Diaz talking about folks being authentic, uh, yeah. pressuring kids, all, all of that? So there was no direct, like, he didn't directly say Florida State, but I think the assumption was, like, Florida State, given that the momentum that they are establishing on the recruiting trail, which is real, like, momentum on the recruiting trail matters. Does it matter more in November, you know, right before the early signing period than it does in June? Yeah, uh, absolutely. Like, that's... That's accurate, um, but it did seem like to be an indirect shot at Florida State. I mean, I'm there covering the official visits and helping out with that stuff, TJ. Like, I, I don't think that's the vibe that they're pressuring kids to commit. In the case of, like, Quayshon Sapp and, and Kaniah Charlton, like, those are guys who wanted to commit months ago or at least had silent commits, and they're not throwing it out there to be like, hey, we have to get you to commit right now. They're telling them, hey, take your official visits, check things out. We want to have the last official visit before the dead period. Please give us that. And, uh, you know, we'll we'll make it public if, if that's what you want to do then. You know, uh, Jerron Willis is another example. He leaves. Uh, it would have been great for momentum if you could push him and say, yeah, I'm flipping today from Georgia Tech to Florida State. I don't think they're pushing him. I think they're going to let him kind of make his own decision. So, so the comments from Manny Diaz, I don't think were well-received by Florida State staff. I don't know if, like, they're losing sleep over it, but it came off – He's talking about being genuine. I think that's a, it's a disingenuine premise to say that FSU or to imply that FSU is, is forcing kids for, for fake momentum. Um, what I will say is one, haha, Miami gets more kids to decommit every year than just about any, anywhere else. Like they, they've had times where their decommitment recruiting class is ranked as highly as their actual committed recruiting class. Uh, so yeah, Miami has their own stuff to kind of worry about there. They recruited very well this past year, largely due to the circumstances of the pandemic. Guys aren't able to go visit uh nationally and take all these official visits for places so a lot of them stayed home credit to miami they took advantage of that situation we'll see what happens right now they're struggling on the recruiting trail at this moment um 
to Manny Diaz's point, like, yeah, recruiting momentum isn't as important in June as it is later on. Right. But, but it is important, especially like for a school like Florida state, like that, that probably isn't going to win more than about six games this year. So it's a lot easier to get kids in the boat now than it is to try to convince them of decommitting from somewhere else, flipping them or just even jump aboard. Like when you're, you know, maybe losing to NC state in October or something like that. You know, so, so I don't, blame FSU for taking kids now. And also they have the scholarships to burn. FSU is going to be able to take a bigger class than most other schools because FSU took a lot of grad transfers this past year. And those scholarships will likely, you know, the result in guys having scholarships expire. Uh, so FSU is probably going to have about 20 or so kids that they can take this cycle. Whereas most programs, because of the extra year of eligibility, the NCAA tacked on, uh, most programs are probably going to be limited on what they can do, uh, scholarship wise this cycle so if it's you probably it's going to have a top 10 class tj like there's a pretty good chance as long as they keep it together and do right reasonably well on the field when five or six games they likely have a top 10 class i don't know where miami is going to go with this i don't know what they're projected to get i think they're probably gonna have a smaller class right now like you said they only have four commitments they're about to lose one so they're going to go from 58 to what was it 66 62. Okay. So, so 62, um, they're going to go into the sixties. And again, there is going to be this huge influx of commitments coming in July. FSU is probably going to fall out of the top five. They may even fall out of the top 10 in the next few weeks because we're going to see more commitments nationally than we've probably seen in the month of July ever in the history of college football, because all these kids took their official visits. Now they're ready to make their decisions after a 15 month hiatus. Uh, but you know, Miami, I don't know. It's a weird thing to kind of be flexing and, and taking shots at other programs right now when when you're struggling to when you're sandwiched between Iowa and Kansas State, Central <laughs> Michigan's over you, Oregon State's over you, UCF's over you, Northern Illinois, Coastal Carolina, uh, yeah. So so Miami's got some problems. They got to kind of worry about their own stuff right now. They've had their window of opportunity. Is it closing? If FSU figures it out, there's a decent chance if FSU does win six games this year, that window for Miami has closed. Um, want to get you out of here because I appreciate your time and thanks for hanging out a ton. These, mm-hmm. these fly by, um, answer these ones quickly and then I'll let you go. Somebody asked about Dalen Everett, mm-hmm. um, and Dion Bowie, just quick, quick thoughts on both of those. Uh, so Dalen Everett is a, let's see, do we have him five or four stars? He is the high 40, four, right? High four, right. Yeah. 40th nationally, 98 composite from IMG Academy. He took an official visit. I guess last week at this point, I was the the earlier, I guess in the week. Uh, so a week ago today, he came in for official visit on June 21st, same day as Jalen Glover uh, running back from Lakeland, uh, Lake Gibson. Uh, so Dalen Everett is someone that, you know, FSU is going to continue to recruit because he's an elite cornerback. I think that they're trying to save. They love what they have with Sam McCall. They love what they have, obviously, with Travis Hunter, who might be the best player in the country. Uh, I think they're going big game hunting for one more defensive back or cornerback spot. Uh, he's taken official visits to North Carolina and Georgia as well. Clemson is warm for him. Oregon we have as warm for, for Dalen Everett. So uh, someone that FSU is going to try to obviously get, like they're going to save a spot for someone of his caliber, caliber excuse me, or a little junior uh, might be another cornerback to keep a keep an eye on as well. I don't know if FSU is going to end up getting him or not. That might be someone that TJ that like when we talk about like if FSU wins eight games this year, you can start kind of knocking down some doors. Like that would be someone I think that you need to, to maybe overperform and really have some juice during the season to, to sell. Um, who was the other, the other prospect? Um, Dion Bowie. Oh, uh, Dion Bowie's from Bainbridge, which is pretty close to Tallahassee about an hour or so away uh, a really dynamic athlete was he committed to georgia i can't remember if he was committed to georgia or considered georgia lead uh but someone that uh, again i think he'd play cornerback for fsu he's an athlete right now but but high-end four-star low-end five-star guy really dynamic player i got the chance to see him at a seven-on-seven camp uh, a couple weeks ago and pretty electric uh when, when, when you watch him move uh yeah someone that the fsu i think was hoping to maybe get on campus uh, beyond just the scope of the seven-on-seven tournament i don't think he showed up unless he did so quietly or if i'm not remembering it uh but but you got to hope if you're fsu and you're again you're relatively local if you want to get a chance to pull him away from georgia or wherever else he's looking at uh that, that you get him on campus one or two more times for sure um a couple quick buyers and owns and we'll get you out of here buyers and own you will have now that you've done all this work in june and things are going to mm-hmm. kind of hopefully take a break for you for a minute buyers and own you will have brown liquor in your glass tonight Tonight? No, not tonight. I had some on Sunday mm. evening, Tom Pack. Uh, so I'm synoning it now, but starting on Tuesday evening, once we do the uh, 
bourbon on a budget uh, podcast. I'll probably start then. And I don't know if I will stop until uh, July 16th when I turn back to work. And drink through the uh, two weeks. Yes. Uh, buyers should own the Lightning win the Stanley Cup. Yeah, I'm buying it. I'm buying it. Right. Their power play is pretty good from what I understand. I'm not a huge uh, NHL fan, but yeah, why, why not? Why not Lightning? Why not again? Um, I made a bottle bet or I'm Ooh. in the process of making a bottle bet. We don't have the bottles finalized, but I am taking the lightning in six or less okay. because there's, because there's odds. Like it's tough to just get them straight up mm-hmm. in some of these groups. So I'm making a bottle bet um, lightning in six or less. The other guy has Montreal or lightning in seven. So if it goes to game seven, I lose. Okay. All right. Um, so what's the bottle? So we're we're going back and forth on like different stuff, trying to find like stuff that's since I'm giving him the juice on the no pun intended. Since I'm giving him the juice on the series, um, we're trying to find equal bottles. So he's got like a Blanton's Red. I've got a Blanton's Store Pick. Um, I've also got like Smoke Wagon Uncut Unfiltered, Stag Fourteen. You're welcome, Stag, Stag Junior Fourteen. You're the man. I'm about to put it up uh, for. for yeah, what's what the I, I feel, but I feel good on it. Like the lightning, you're like minus two seventy five. So like, I feel like in six is good. Um, mm-hmm. So yeah, see, we've got some lightning fans in here today. Lewis, my guy Brandon, those both in six. Like, let's go. So uh, we're trying. We're going back and forth on a couple of things um, to try and see if uh, exactly what we want to bet. So um, all right, I think that's all I got. Um, for today, we Bro, were who said long. I'm an FSU hater, Luis? Luis, what? What did I say? It could just be Luis. It could just be. It might no. not be Luis. No. Uh, it probably is Luis. But uh, okay, last one. You mentioned FSU taking a big class. I feel like you can't do two buyers You have to do three buyers Florida State finishes with a better class than Miami this year. A Ooh. better class, a higher, a higher ranked, class, better subjective. Bye. Oh, uh, let's for, for, uh, big buy, big buy, because I, I think FSU is going to be able to take like upwards of 20 kids. I'm not sure if Miami's going to be able to, to do that. And again, right now where I'm sitting, FSU looks pretty good. Miami's got a lot of work to do. I'd rather, uh, I know what FSU can do because I've seen it already with the recruiting trail, Miami TBD right now for this cycle. Luis or Lewis, sorry. Tell us how to say. Tell us if we're saying this correctly, Mr. Pacheo. Oh, we're winning uh, ten games. All right, ten games, well, okay. so ten games. We're finishing top five class. Okay. Is what you're saying, right? Oh yeah. I mean, if FSU wins again, if FSU's winning eight games at least, like I, I would be very bullish on this team contending for national title in the next couple of years. Yeah. Let's go. Um. All right, Brendan. I mean, everybody knows this, but where can people find you know everything that you do? Shout out the the website, the podcast, everything. Um, you're a great Twitter handle mm-hmm. where. Um, the most marvelous tweets on the on the app come from. Oh yeah, yeah. You can follow me on Twitter at bsonone, b s o n n o n e. Knowles twenty four seven is where I write. You can follow my work there as well as Josh Newberg, Zach Blossing, Chris Knees, Knowles twenty four seven dot com, and our podcast is on the bench. Maybe you've heard of it. It's kind of a big deal. Um, we typically let myself or Richie see you, you've won him back over man now i gave you a 100 emoji or maybe that's for yeah. a but, uh, um <laughs> we typically myself or richie will pick a song to play the podcast out i know you're not going to go back and listen to this 45 minute uh recruiting recap just to hear the song at the end when you can just play it like on apple music or something but uh mm-hmm. pick a song for us uh to play this thing out lots I'm of pressure go- here. <laughs> I mean, no that's not pressure make play early times in sheer wine uh Oh God! What's Tim's band's name? Oh no, the Shower Beers. Buy the Shower Beers. Got to go find it first. Not going to be easy, but you got to find it. And uh, a little on the bench, a little hat tip to on the bench. It's uh, it's on YouTube. So uh, yeah. early times in Cheerwine Harlan, play us out, Brandon. Thanks for hanging out with us. We'll be back Sunday night for everybody that wants to tune back in. And uh, until then, go Knowles.